Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the message. For more in-depth content and answers to questions submitted during the sermon, check out our podcast called Postscript. You can find it on iTunes or on our website at faithbridge.org forward slash podcast. Howdy! Good to see you guys. Uh, If you have a Bible, we are in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I want to read a couple verses to you, and then we'll pray and jump in. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, I think some people are coming around with some, or uh, we'll put the verses on the screen, too, so you can follow along there. But Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, is where we'll be. And it says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I just want to ask you now, as we look at your word together, would you help us get a sense of what that's like to have an experience like Paul's, to be so connected in with a group of people that you could say, I yearn for you with the affections of Jesus, that there is a strong bond here that's deeply satisfying and right and good. And so, Lord, I'm praying for our our love, our relationship, our connection with you and with people. And so, Lord, I don't know where everybody is today in the spectrum of intersecting with you or others, and I don't know what our needs are, real or perceived in this moment, but I guess the best thing I could ask is, Lord, let us honestly connect with you, and I pray that you'd give us a vision of what life could be for us, and uh, I pray you'd give us eyes to see it and a heart to recognize that it's good. And I'm gonna ask you guys, if you would, take a minute and pray yourselves and ask him, say, God, please teach me something today. And then if you would, please pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a tough time to be an Aggie football fan, but uh, minor setbacks excluded. Uh, It's still been a pretty good year to be an Aggie fan, right? Pretty good three years. Uh, I know for me, Don and I, we've lived in College Station for nine years And it's been fascinating to see the last three when our football team's been good. Uh, 
the difference that it makes in a community. The difference in the way people carry themselves and intersect with people. Even people that aren't necessarily interested in the sport of football. There's just something deeply satisfying about being connected to a team like that. It's weird. Like I remember for me when I started at A&M as a student, um, I came from a high school football team that I played on that was uh, less than stellar uh, in our uh, pursuits on the field. And so when I came to A&M, that was kind of my experience of football. But I remember showing up at A&M and getting out there in the stands and watching the team and just being so confused as I watched our team just crush people. I was like, what is happening? Like, where is all the guilt and shame and frustration normally associated with football? Like, it's not here. It's confusing to me, right? But it was weird to be up there in the stands and to have these people around me that were like, oh yeah, no, this is how we do. And uh, it's not just us watching them. Like, we're a part of this. We're participating in this. We will all be yelling. We'll be yelling in unison. We'll be leaning over to maximize volume, thank you. And so you will be yelling all this with us. And I'm like, "Um, okay, well, let's do that. But let's not take this too seriously, right? Like, you're not really helping. Until I remember thinking that, but the moment came, we're all screaming our heads off while the other team's on offense. And I noticed for the first time the, the realization that the quarterback was having trouble relaying the plays because of us. And when that landed on us, that we're actually influencing what's happening, that we really are a part of this. I remember we were there like yelling, ah, we're, like, ah, we're yelling louder. And I saw him not able to call an audible. Finally, they had to burn a timeout because they were so confused. They had to reset their offense. And when we realized we just messed them up because we're a part of this, the whole stands went bananas. People are jumping up and down. We're hugging each other going, ah, ha, ha, I don't know you. Like we did not come together. And yet this is okay, right? Because... Uh, there was just something thrilling to the soul about being connected to that. Why? Why do we get so wired up about that? Why are you connected into places like that that, that does that? Well, I would say this. I think because in, in a small way, it touches down on two of the most fundamental needs in the human soul. Like if I was to ask you, What's the greatest longing in a human heart? What would you say? God would say, what is the deepest need in a human soul for a man or woman? What would you say it is? What's the thing we long for, yearn for, deeply desire above all things at the bottom of human desires? What do you think the basic need of the human soul is? Well, I would guess if I asked you and we took a poll, I would guess you'd say one of two things. I imagine many of you, maybe most of you, would say love. Love is the deepest need. And maybe not even just like romantic love, but, but connection, intimacy, fellowship, to be a part of something, to feel connected in with some people that, that you know me and I know you and you care about me and I care about you, that you'd miss me if I was gone and you'd be happy if I was there. That sense of belonging is so deep in us. We yearn for intimacy. We yearn for community. That's at a bottom level of the human soul, and it is a strong desire. Professors at Stanford studied that desire in college students, and they found that a, a single instance of exclusion, just one moment of feeling outside the community, can have such profound negative effects that it will not only hurt your sense of well-being, but it's shown to decrease IQ scores and your ability to fight off disease. 
that it says a feeling of exclusion doesn't just make you feel bad about yourself. It'll affect your ability to function or your ability to fight off a cold. Some of you don't perform well at work or you're always sick and it might be you need some rest or it might be that you're lonely is what they're saying. That this disease or this need is so profound in us. I mean, think about it. Some of the most courageous acts ever performed by men and women are from this drive for community. That that yearning for a sense of intimacy is so strong, it has been the motivator behind some of the bravest acts men and women have ever done in warfare. That I will give my life to protect my brother and my sister. This drive for community has also been the driver behind some of the stupidest things that you did in high school and junior high, right? (laughs) All of us could admit it. I dressed and wore something ridiculous. I said something dumb. I jumped off that. I ate that. I did all kinds of dumb stuff. Why? To get that group of people to like me to get a community to acknowledge me, to let me in. That drive is so strong in us, it can produce beautiful or destructive things, right? Because we yearn for it so deeply, a sense of community. That's one of them. And I imagine all of us in here, as I talk about that, you're like, "Uh, yeah, totally, yes. But I think some of you in here thought, yeah, that's a good point. Yes, totally, love, yes. But that's not necessarily what you thought of when I said, what's the deepest need in a human heart? What you thought of is, okay, yeah, love is good, but what I think every person needs is a sense of, of purpose, sense of meaning, sense of what's the, what's the goal of it all? Where's it going? What's my cause? What's my purpose in life? That at a deep level for you, you say, oh, I want to know that the work I'm doing means something. And so I want to know what am I built to do? Like if I'm going to climb a mountain. I want to say I climbed it and I got there. If I'm meant to build a kingdom, I want to build it. If there's a thing I need to offer to humanity, I want to offer it. That you're sitting here saying what I need more than anything else is a sense of purpose, of meaning. We want that. The young want it on the front end of life and the old want it on the back end. As they look back, they want to say, did my life have any meaning? Was there any purpose behind what I did here? Or was I just hanging out doing stuff? It's fascinating. Researchers at Carleton University in Canada released a study where they found that across the ages, a greater sense of purpose in life consistently predicted a lower risk of dying. That as they looked at different age groups, when you die, people that are lacking a sense of purpose die twice as fast as those who have a sense of purpose. That this is life and death stuff that at the deepest part of human souls, we have two innate longings. I want a community and I want a cause. I want intimacy and I want impact. I want a people and I want a purpose. That's so deep in us, it's inescapable. It is hardwired into us. And it's interesting, I read an article this last year, uh, Forbes magazine was talking about this. Forbes is writing about this scientific research, even outside the world of religion, is just pushing into this. This is the reality. They say at the deepest needs are belonging and mattering. I want to be a part of something, and I want to be a part of something. This is the deepest part of human needs. And they said in Forbes magazine, according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you can't self-actualize. You can't actually be what you're meant to be as a man or meant to be as a woman until you get a sense of belonging and a sense that it matters. And then what was fascinating about the article was that they established these are human needs across all 
ages, genders, times, races, it doesn't matter. Everyone feels this. And then the article went, and so let's talk about how to manipulate those desires to sell your products. And I thought, what a strange direction to take this discovery that you've just put your finger on the deepest needs in the human soul and your response is to go, how do I manipulate it to sell cereal? You, go, um, you could ask that question or maybe we could ask the deeper question of why are those desires there? If they're deeply woven into all of us, why are they there? What are they there for? And just creating an answer is not sufficient. I think all of us in here could admit that. And yet so often you hear in cultures, people go, well, you just gotta, you know, just pick a group that you wanna be a part of or pick a cause that's meaningful to you. You just pick one to meet that desire. But I think all of us could say that beyond subjectivity at the objective level, some ways to satisfy these are better than others. Like your relentless pursuit of community. I think objectively, one is better than the other. If you said, hey, I could join a gang of murderers or a gang of scientists. I don't think you would say to that kid what so many guidance counselors say. Well, you know what? No wrong answers here. No wrong answers. All right, you just gotta, you gotta go with your gut. What's your heart telling you? I think, no, this one's objectively better than that one. Bad choice, good choice. If you're gonna seek community, some ways of seeking it are better than others. And it's the same with a cause. It's like, you just gotta go with your heart. Well, some causes are better than others. They just are, right? It's better to seek a cure for cancer than to seek the ultimate corn dog. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a corn dog, but if that's all you're going for in life, we just haven't reached high enough yet, right? I think we'd all say that. And you go, well, Ben, where are you going with all this? What are we doing here? I'm, I'm trying to lay a foundation for all of us of two things. One, deep in every human soul, regardless of where you come from or what you're doing, is a longing for community and for a cause. That's true of all of us, right? And we would all admit that there's ways of pursuing that that are better than other ways. There's ways of pursuing this need to feel connection that's destructive, and we've seen it in our schools. And there's ways to seek a cause that aren't sufficient to thrill the human heart. There are worse ways. There are better ways. And all I'm here to say today is, and there is a best way. There is a best way. There's the way of saying, who put these desires here? And what did he create that can ultimately satisfy them? You were made to be connected to a community. You were made to have a cause that thrills your soul. He put those desires in there on purpose. And we're talking about them because Paul, the apostle, I don't know if you caught it when we read this letter. It's a letter he wrote to the community at Philippi and Paul is excited. I don't know if you caught that vibe as you read it. Paul is very happy as he writes to them. And he is because Paul's found it. Paul has found the answer to these two questions. He has a deep connection with this community. Did you hear it as I was reading it? He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Let me just unpack that in case you just miss the significance of it. It gets lost in Bible language. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. 
That's what he says. As I'm living my life, every time you come to mind, I stop what I'm doing and pray. And that prayer is a prayer of gratitude, thanking God for you. And then the next word is the word always. He says, in this experience, oh, 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 right, praising God happens to me all the time. He says, it happens all the time. It happens for all of you. And then he says, and I make that prayer with joy. He says, I don't do it because I'm supposed to. A little religious observance like the watch beeps. Oh, this is when I'm supposed to pray for the Philippians. God, thank you for the Philippians. Thank you for this day. May their food nourish their bodies. He doesn't do that. He says, every time you come to mind, which is all the time, I stop and I thank God that he made you. And while I'm thanking him, that experience for me is a fantastic one. I love it. You ever received a letter like that? You ever had someone talk to you that way? What would it feel like? He says, I hold you in my heart. And then he says, God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affections of Jesus. Has anyone ever talked to you that way? That wasn't trying to hit on you? (laughs) I mean, we've sexualized so many of our relationships, right? You can't even have a good friend without them calling it a bromance. We've made it so weird. Could someone look you in the face and say this to you? Could a community of people talk like that to you? I love you. I miss you when you're gone. I care about you and my heart is bursting with the affections of Jesus. He uses the strongest words. It means that my insides are moved, that I love you, man. And I've got you in my heart, that I'm deeply connected to you. That's how Paul talks to the Philippians. Why does he talk to him that way? How is it that deep? He says, because you're a partner with me in the gospel and this is a community that God has begun. He says, God began this good work in you. The reason this community is so deeply satisfying for Paul, deeper than work relationships, deeper than any other kind, the reason it's so deep is because this is the community God's building. Your deep longing for community has a place of satisfaction. It's in the community of Jesus. Paul says, God's building a family. God has ordained history to build a family. And that's what Paul found. And he says, you're the partnership of the gospel. You're the communion, the fellowship of the gospel. You're my community. But communities build around causes. They build around directions. We don't just commune around community. We commune around stuff, a sports team, a common hobby, a work. And he says, but you're the community of the gospel. That word gospel was a politically charged term. It was used at the birth of an emperor that they would send out messengers to proclaim the euangelion, the good message, the gospel of a new king has arrived. And the birth of the king marks a radical shift in your life experience. That's good. That's what they would say. The gospel of Emperor Augustus, he has arrived. And yet Paul comes in and says, no, there's a true gospel. There's the gospel of God that God has sent the true king, Jesus Christ, among us, that he's lived among us. He says, you're the partnership, the fellowship of Jesus, of the true king and the true cause. Your desire for community is meant to be satisfied in the community of Jesus because your desire for a cause can only be satisfied in the cause of Jesus. And Paul was living his own life, chasing being wealthy and popular and liked 
in his little world that he had a ladder he could climb through the religious ranks. But when he ran face first into Jesus, it changed everything for Paul. And what used to be so important to him, he'll say later is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of this, that I know him and he knows me and I run with him as he accomplishes his purposes in the world, that the true king has come, that God sent a son and he lived among us, that we would walk with him. I read a book this summer about the Spartan battle of Thermopylae way back in the day. And the Spartans, there's a lot to not admire about the Spartans. Let me just say that. However, it's a fascinating study to go, why did 300 Spartan soldiers willingly march into certain death to fight off an untold sea of Persians that were invading? Part of it was because they wanted to protect their families. But part of it was they were willing to march out into that battle because they followed Leonidas. And they loved that man because they revered him. He was bigger than life and led his people as their king. But he wasn't too good to live among them. He was regal and powerful and authoritative. But if they had to sleep on the ground, he slept on the ground. If they ate a meager meal, he ate a meager meal. If they had to run out to battle, he was in the front, that he lived among them. That mixture of glory and humanity was so captivating to them, they said, we're following you anywhere and are proud to do it. And he was a human king and he's dead. But Jesus Christ is the son of God. There's no higher glory. And yet though he was in the image of God, he did not take it as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant. He lived among us. That's the gospel that he was not too good to sit with children. He was not too high and mighty to sit with a woman who had been passed around by men and used and abused. He could sit and speak with her and give her dignity back. That he could be gentle with disciples who didn't get it. He'd go have a meal with a guy who had alienated his friends in his relentless pursuit of money. Jesus would sit among us and he loved us. The God man, the king who came for us. That's the cause. And when Paul saw him, it changed everything. And that's what Christ came to do. That the world is a broken place. Jesus came breaking into this world to make things right again. And when you realize that he's the son of God who came to heal the broken, bring light into the darkness, and I get to be linked up with him, that's the cause the world needs. That's the cause I need. That's the cause I wanna be a part of. That's the cause that will thrill the human soul. That's the answer. It's fascinating. I read an article this year by a British columnist named Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris is an avowed atheist. And yet he wrote this article last year for the Times. And he entitled it, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. And you read that title and you're kind of like, okay, what's the twist? You know, expecting like some kind of real cynicism. But as you read the article, and it's amazing, Matthew Paris grew up in what's modern-day Malawi, grew up there as a boy, left for 45 years, but went back recently uh, because he was supporting an organization that was digging wells to give clean drinking water to villages in Malawi. And as an atheist, having that experience in Africa after 45 years, he wrote this. He said, it inspired me, seeing them dig the wells renewing my flagging faith in development charities. 
But traveling in Malawi refreshed another belief too, one I've been trying to banish all my life, but an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I have become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings about a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real and the change is good. He says, I used to avoid this truth by applauding, if you can, the practical work of mission churches in Africa. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate missionaries to help, fine. But what counted was the help, not the faith. But that doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is transferred to the flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely, which I cannot help observing. Do you catch that? The guy's writing and he's saying, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to believe in God. I write for Richard Dawkins' website. I like being an atheist. He says, but when I go to Africa and see the real pain and darkness in the human story, when I see true suffering, he says, I have to be honest and say, education alone, insufficient. Money, insufficient. Structure and jobs, insufficient. There's only one thing that can save this continent, and it's Jesus. He says, as I look at humanity, there's only one hope I see. It's Jesus. And the people who link up with him, the rebirth is real and the change is good. This is the cause you're made for. It's undeniable if you have eyes to see it. We're made to link up with him. We're made to ride with him. That's why you're here. So the last question from this morning then is, okay, so who gets in? If I'm supposed to join the community of Jesus, if I'm supposed to be a part of the cause of Jesus, who gets in? What do I gotta do, Ben? Because you gotta do something to join every community, right? So you're like, what do I gotta do? I gotta go rake some leaves, I gotta give some money, where are you going with this? Because you gotta do something to get into every community, right? How do you get to join the A&M football team? Boy, they look like they have a lot of fun out there. How do I get to join that team? Man, you just one thing. Be spectacular at football, that's it. You just be an amazing football player, you can get into that group, right? That's all you gotta do is be incredible. But that's true of any group. You want to join it, you got to pull something off. You want to join a certain social group? How do you get in? You've got to be interesting to them. You got to laugh at the right times and not laugh at the wrong times. You have to say things they find interesting and know when to not talk. You have to have some social ability of not being weird to get in. How do you get a certain job? You got to perform. Can you get it done? If you got the skills, talent, ability, know-how, connections, you can get in. You don't have those things, you're not getting in. Every community we want to be a part of, there's a price to pay to get in. So if you're telling me this is the community I'm really made for, the people of Jesus, the cause of Jesus, what do I got to do to get in? Well, what's interesting is the book of Acts records Paul's arrival in Philippi. 
the beginning of this community that he loves so dearly. And what's interesting is a lot of people join the community. Luke, who wrote the gospel or the uh, book of Acts, just mentions three people. And I think he mentions the particular three he does because they're, they're unique, they're representative of what he wants to, to communicate to us about who gets in. And the first one's a woman named Lydia. We won't have time to read her whole story, but it's in Acts 16. But Lydia is a successful businesswoman. Says she's a seller of purple, which I just love that. What do you do for a living? Sell some purple. You need purple? You come see me. Right? <laughs> What that means is purple dye was actually really hard to make. And it was also the color of royalty or advanced social status. So it wasn't just like, hey, I want a purple shirt. It's to show I'm somebody. And if you wanted to show that, you had to go to her. So what that means was she was a successful businesswoman. And she was independent. Successful, independent businesswoman, Lydia, that has all that and yet doesn't feel satisfied. She knows something's missing. So when Paul meets her, she's gone down to the river to pray. She's linked up with these women that go down to this river and they're just praying because she knows I got all this money, status, and success and, and I'm, not, I'm not satisfied, I'm not okay. And as she sits along that river, Paul comes. In Acts 16, I love the beautiful way Luke writes it. He says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and afterwards she was baptized. What she needed was a conversation. She needed someone like Paul to say, you're longing for something bigger than the material things you have because there is something bigger, and he has a name, and he has a son who's come to connect with us, and as he explained to her the rationality of the belief in Christ, she said, that's what I've been looking for, and she sweetly believed, her and her family. Luke moves on and there's a different girl who could not be more different than Lydia. She's a slave girl. She's not wealthy. She's a slave. She's not independent. She's owned by some men who exploit her for money. And not only that, it says that she's got a darkness in her, that there's a demon in her. So she's captive in a lot of ways, a lot of complex and ugly and sad ways. And she's following Paul around, screaming at him while he's ministering in Philippi. Which I love the way Luke writes that. It says, and it began to annoy Paul. <laughs> it's annoying when you're trying to go about your day and a demon-possessed girl screaming at you 24-7. <laughs> and so Paul casts the demon out of her. Powerful spiritual experience. Breaking the chains in this girl's life. And she becomes part of the family. Some people need a conversation. Some people need liberation from some dark things. Successful, well-to-do, some intellectual questions that got satisfied. Captive into some dark things. Even resistant to religion. And yet God comes slamming in to set you free and bring light into the dark. Her owners don't like it because they were exploiting her for financial gain. And so when they lose the ability to do that, they take it out on Paul. They get him and his buddies dragged in. They get whipped, beaten, put in prison, put in stocks, which are comfortable little things. You put around your feet so that you can't bend your legs so your legs will cramp. It's fantastic. So they're in prison, beaten, stocks, in a jail cell, not a cool place to be. Philippian jailer watching over. 
And so Paul does what every Christian would do when you're beaten, stalked in a prison. He begins to sing worship songs to God. And the Philippian jailer couldn't care less. I'm not seeking your religion. I'm not necessarily anti it either. I'm just trying to do a job, man. So if you want to sing, sing over there. He's just living his life, working at the jail. Till an earthquake hits and destroys the jail. Because the way it worked back then was as a jailer, you really just had one job. Your one job was take a criminal, bring him to his court date. That's all they really want from you. How you house them, I don't really care. Just get him to the court date on time, right? And if you don't, you failed at your one job. And so you didn't get fired, they killed you, okay? Kind of intense, pass-fail kind of deal, right? <laughs> and so he's sitting there living his life, blue-collar job, I don't really care about all this. Earthquake hits, uh-oh, I'm gonna assume prisoner's gone. I'm gonna assume one job failed, so I'm gonna assume I'm dead, so let me go ahead and expedite that, and he gets ready to kill himself. Paul stops him. Hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. We're okay, man. We're all here. Don't end your life. And this guy, who couldn't have cared less about religion a few minutes before, when his world starts to crumble around him, realizes there's some big questions I've not been asking. There's some big answers I don't have. But that guy can sing in a jail cell. I'm gonna go sit at his feet and ask him those questions and get those answers. And he kneels down before Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Three different people, three different stories, three very different experiences, all coming into the family. Here's the interesting thing. There was a prayer that was popular in the day by the religious people. And the prayer was, thank you, God, that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And when Luke's explaining who gets into the family, he picks three people. He picks a woman, he picks a slave, and he picks a Gentile. What's Luke trying to say? He's trying to say everybody's welcome. Everybody's invited. I don't care who you are. You successful, that money won't satisfy your soul. It's not bad, but it's not enough. You got questions intellectually, the Bible has answers that are deeply satisfying, better than any you got anywhere else. You need to hear and learn and receive. And may God open your heart. You bound up in some pretty dark things. Jesus Christ came to set you free. He's the strong one. He brings light into the darkness. You trust him. You just live in your life, that's fine. But when your world starts to crumble, you'll start searching for answers. And he's the only steady thing in an unsteady world. How do you get in? None of them earned it. What's the portal into the community of faith? It's admission of need. I know I don't have the answers, the power to free myself, the ability to control my circumstances. I don't have it. I need someone bigger than me, and he's come for us. I love what Paul calls this community in chapter one. He says, you are partakers of grace with me. That's who gets to be a Christian. Grace is favor you don't deserve. A partaker of grace is someone that says, God, I need to be in and I can't get myself in. Will you come get me? Will you teach me? Will you save me? Will you steady me? Will you accept me? That's why he came. God became a man, lived 
with us, lived for us, died for us, beat death to give forgiveness, life, answers, freedom, stability to all who will come. And he adopts into a family that has a purpose of making his name great until the day he comes to get us. That's why you're here. Let me close with this. Some, some might say, man, I'm just so scared because of just the way religion can clamp down on people. Let me close by circling back to Matthew Paris. Matthew, the atheist, as he stood in Africa, said this. The Christians were always different. Far from having cowed or confined its converts, their faith appears to have liberated and relaxed to them. There was a liveliness a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealing with others that seemed to be missing in traditional African life. They stood tall. What he thought would be confining to human beings, the oppression of religion, he said wasn't their case when it came to believing in Jesus Christ. He said it made them joyful, curious, engaging with the world. They stood tall. And he closed the article with this. Removing Christian evangelism from the African equation may leave the continent at the mercy of a malign fusion of Nike, the witch doctor, the mobile phone, and the machete. He says, as I walk away from the continent, I see two answers. And I don't think it's Africa. I think it's the world. He says, there's this movement that Jesus has inaugurated that's setting people free. I see it and it's good and I celebrate it. And he said, and if I don't have it, what does that leave me with? A shallow technology fascination that can devolve easily into violence. That's what he sees. A malign fusion of the mobile phone and the machete. That we become a shallow people that ultimately hurt one another. That's not the world we want to build. That's not the world we want to support as we read the newspaper and look across the globe. Praise be to God, there's a different answer. There's a community you're built for. There's a cause you're made for, and it's his. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord, I pray for all of us in here. (coughs) God, I just think so many live with a decent job, with some buddies, but knowing something's missing. And God, I I pray that no one would hear you need to quit your job and ditch your buddies. I don't know. Maybe some people need to hear that, but that's not the goal. The goal is, is it enough? We're not meant to just be a part of a community. We're meant to be a part of one that stirs one another up towards love and good deeds as we chase the greatest of all goals. Is that your community? We're meant to not just seek comfort and safety in a career. We're meant to seek something greater. The God who can heal marriages and families and broken countries and continents and enslaved people and addicts and the empty and the scared. We're meant to pursue the greatest of all causes, that of the God-man who's setting people free. So God, wherever we are today, I just pray For some, you'd give them the courage to link up with your community. Some of them have been sensing it, the need, and it's time to turn the corner and do that really awkward, scary thing where you just sign up for a small group. And yes, it'll feel weird. And yes, some of the people will be weird. And they won't all be your best friends. That's okay. 
But God, it might just feel like the most important thing we've done in a long time to say, let me link up with people for no other reason than to encourage each other as we seek the God who made us and wired us for community. And then God, I pray for those in this room that maybe they just always thought religion was something you kind of stack into your life or try to be a better person. I just pray they'd realize you're not meant to be stuck under the periphery of their life. You are the centerpiece. And everything makes sense in your light. And so God, I pray for those that don't know you that they might even today say, God, I want in. I throw open empty hands. I want to partake of grace. Will you forgive me? Will you teach me? Will you heal me? Will you stabilize me? Will you adopt me to bring me into the family of Jesus? I want in. And you can pray that now and then please tell the person who brought you, tell one of the pastors here, we'd love to celebrate that with you and help you on the journey of pursuing him with his people. Thank you, God, that the greatest of all needs is a sense of community with a cause. And what you're giving us is that. May we grab the offer, take up the gift, live how you made us to live, to pursue you with each other for your glory and our good. Let that be our story. Welcome to Postscript from Faithbridge Church. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the message by sitting down with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group Director, and I'm here with Bible teacher Ben Stewart, who is joining us again. Welcome. Thanks. Okay, so since we saw you last, you kicked off a new semester of Breakaway. That's right. And how's yeah. that? Everything's been going awesome. good? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, a number of new staff members, and they're doing amazing, and there's upwards of 70,000 college students in the town. The town is crazy right now. So fun, though. Well, we are glad to have you back with us. Thanks. And so today we started a look into Philippians. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about Philippians, what led you there, and um, just a little bit of background for us. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, um, I mean, Philippians, I guess part of what led me there is it's short, which is kind of nice to teach for a semester for us. But mm-hmm. I think more than that, it's probably the tightest packed in book of coffee mug bumper sticker quotes from the Bible that because Paul's just on a roll. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's just really excited about who God is, what God is doing, and has some wonderful ways of framing things about the Christian life. And so I really wanted to get to those things and probably premiere of which is what we brought out today. You know, there are letters that Paul wrote where he's mad. Like he wrote to Mm -hmm. the Galatians and said, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? He's frustrated with them, you know, to the Corinthians They were a mess, you know, so he's like, stop getting drunk at communion, you know, and so much of Corinth is like, oh my gosh, trying to get these people to stay together. Whereas at Philippi, their home team, man, I mean, Mm -hmm. they, he'll say it later that I came to you guys, you embraced Jesus, and I didn't even get to the next town before you were right there with me, supporting me. And so it's fun to get a window into a community that's killing it, that's doing great, that really loves each other, is really moving forward. And I, I wanted to focus on that because, like we talked about today, that's the drive of the human heart. Mm-hmm. We want to be connected and we want a cause that's bigger than us. And Paul has that and the Philippians have that. And they have the ultimate one, the one we need. That is the connection to 
what God is doing. And so that's kind of what led me there, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, is that the good. short version? Yeah, 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 that's good. So um, as we started out today and we, we started looking at the opening, mm-hmm. and so you talked about the two needs. Just highlight those for me again. Yeah. Both the community and... Um, a cost. cost, right? Yeah. And so we have a lot of opportunities here at Faithbridge yeah. to be included in either one. And of course, as Grow Group Director, I love the piece about <laughs> community. community. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. Um, love to see people involved in life change here. And um, that even Paul saw years and years and years, years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those two things. And then, um, so then we'll be moving through Philippians as yeah. you come back to see us for the next couple of weeks. So we're looking That's forward right. to see what you... Um, bring back for us then. Yeah, so feel free to read ahead. It's not a long book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll take you roughly 12 minutes to read it out loud, you know, which is the slowest form of reading. So you can read Philippians pretty easily and uh, just start to get your head around how a healthy community of God talks to each other. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe the, the best thing you could grab out of that. And, and then where we're going and what matters to the people of God. It's all in there and it's really beautifully written and it's short. That's awesome. Go for it. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. And we'll see you back here next week. And thank you for your questions and for joining us today for Postscript. And we'll see you back here next week as well. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org forward slash postscript.